Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of What the Health Just Happened, where we talk about all things healthcare: the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the lefts, the right, everything in between. In addition to talking about healthcare, we also have some very, very bright individuals that come on and talk about healthy business practices, healthy leadership practices, healthy sales practices. Today's guest, I think, checks all those boxes. I also have Joey Jansen sitting next to me. I'm Eric Ross, both with 212. Joey, say hi. What's up, guys? Chris Hamilton partner and employee benefit practice leader with Hotchkiss Insurance in Dallas, Arlington area, right? Yeah, Dallas-Fort Worth. Dallas-Fort yes. Worth. I said it wrong again, which is funny because <laughs> I have family there. I, I wrote this stuff down. College athlete, animal on the drums, one of the smartest humans I know, husband, father, and friend. Is that a good intro? That's a great intro. Maybe okay. the best you I've left had. Out the most important part, though. What's the most important part? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's our first out-of-town guest. This is our first out-of-town guest. Yes. Yeah, so so Chris flew in just for this, not his family reunion in Ponte Vedra Beach. But welcome to Jacksonville. Welcome to the streets, Ponte Vedra, Jacksonville. Let's party, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. What do you want to talk about? What do you do for a living again? So I uh, work with employers to fix the rising cost of healthcare in their business. Okay. Say that again. So most of the employers we work with, we're working with the owners to help them fix the rising cost of health insurance in their business. So, so give me an example. And, and again, just to be clear, that's what we do also, right? Joe yeah. and myself, very familiar. But just whoever's listening, businesses typically provide employee benefits to their staff, right? What does that consist of? Yeah, so typically, uh, you know, if you look at the, the data, most people get health insurance from their employer. Or they get their benefits from their employer and usually consists of medical, dental vision, life insurance, all those sorts of things. But typically the most commonly talked about one is medical insurance because it's the most expensive employer provided benefit. And so when you think about health insurance, what's happened over the last you know, 10 to 15 years, costs are rising exponentially and employers are having a hard time continuing to provide it in an affordable way. And because they're, they're, it's, the costs are going up, it's now eating into their profitability. So how long have you been in the industry for? Eight years. Let, let's start there too, because again, I know this, you were in commercial banking first, right? Mm -hmm. Went to, I wrote down the college here too, degree in finance and economics from Hardin-Simmons University. Yep, in Abilene, Cowboys, Texas. Right? You uh, played football there? I did play football. Are, are the Cowboys their logo? I tried to look that up. They, yeah, Cowboys. Okay, so I said Hardin-Simmons Cowboys, yep, in Abilene, Texas. And I, I got a master's degree in uh, finance and economics from the University of Texas in Arlington. So again, really smart individual. Everyone in our space, we, we might talk about true network, but everyone says Chris is the smartest guy in the room every time. Joey, you're the second smartest. No. <laughs> so going to college, I don't think anyone intends to go into this line of work in this industry. It kind of chooses us, right? So out of college, you mm -hmm. went into the banking industry. Yeah, so I did corporate finance and corporate banking. And if you would have told me, 10 or 15 years ago that I was going to be doing insurance for a living. I said, you were crazy. <laughs> and really, I, I got into the, the business that we're in today because of the Affordable Care Act. And a lot of the clients that I worked with were subject to compliance uh, for Affordable Care Act. And if they weren't compliant, they were going to pay substantial penalties and it would potentially suck a bunch of cash flow out of their business. So I just started asking the business owners and CFOs we work with, are you compliant with the law? And I was surprised that many of them didn't know if they were compliant. Was, at that time, many people didn't know. But as I'm looking at their financial statements, I can see that health benefits is something that's expensive, one, 
And over multiple years, the cost is rising every single year. So I asked the follow-up question, well, this is a pretty expensive item. How do you manage that cost? And I was really surprised by that answer, which was, there's not really anything you can do. It's whatever the carrier and broker tell us our costs are going to be every year. <laughs> oh, and so it was really interesting to me because I had some large clients. I had one that was a very How large. How many employees? Uh, of, when you say a large client, like just for an this example. One, this one had probably over 10,000 employees. So think about that. 10,000 10, employees, at least 50% are probably paying This is at the for, bank. This one I was a corporate in corporate finance and corporate banking. Yeah, I had a, had a banking client, had 10,000 employees. They had employees in other countries. They were a pretty sophisticated group. Um, in fact, when they told me that there was no way for them to manage that cost, I was really surprised because, you know, they, they, man, they were a manufacturer, and some of their inputs were plastic and metal. And they had entered into commodity hedges, hedges to uh, hedge their costs for future years. So they could tell me, worst case scenario, what plastic and metal parts were going to cost two, even three years out. But they couldn't tell me what health insurance was going to cost. And it was going up, you know, 10% a year is what they budget, 10 to 15% a year is what they budget. And just to me, that just seemed really odd because these are really smart people. Mm-hmm. And they'd been conditioned to believe that it was not a cost that you could control. So I, I love the background, too, that, that kind of led you in this direction. So when you first were looking at these P&Ls, right, the bottom line, where they're mm-hmm. over underspending, you see healthcare just jump to the top of the list. For most businesses, what what do you think it is? The, the top expense for, for a company, second, third? Like, where does it rank on yeah. the cost for business? So for service businesses, you don't manufacture a product, but you provide a service. You're a CPA firm. You're in a, a, a law firm. You know, you're in a service-oriented organization. It's typically the second most expensive thing behind payroll for most of those service-related mm-hmm. businesses. If you're a manufacturer, it's typically the third most expensive thing behind the cost of, you know, if, you, if you're a home builder, obviously materials are going to be your most expensive item. Then labor, then health insurance. So – Again, going back to looking at that. So you're looking at this happen. You've been in the industry for eight years. You're talking about rising costs. What what, do you, what have you seen in eight years? Like how much of a rising cost are we talking about? Yeah, so most uh, businesses are going to see on average 8 to 12% per year. Some years it'll be 0 or 1 or 2%, and then some years it'll be 20 30%. But when you look at it over the course of a decade, on average, it's 8 to 12%. So when you think about that in uh, you know, a seven-year period, your costs have doubled. You were spending a, a million dollars seven years ago, you're now spending $2 million. And the way most companies address that is they reduce the quality of the benefits they offer their people. Less benefit means less cost. And that's the way people have been conditioned to manage the cost of the rising cost of health insurance. So day day one, when you walked in as a benefits broker agent, whatever Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call yourself, what did you do to address that cost? Did you how did you educate yourself? How did you figure out the puzzle? I had a really good, I was really fortunate because um, some of my friends, very close friends of mine, already were in the benefits advising space in my town. And I had referred clients to them, and they were already doing some of these things. And so when I first got into the business, it was specifically to figure out how to address the rising costs. Because what I noticed, I'll, I'll back up. One of my, I had the good fortune that one of my clients, when I was in banking, was one of the largest insurance brokerages in America today. They're still in business today. And they're, they're the ones that are going out and gobbling everybody up um, through acquisition. I bet I could guess the name. Well, I, I have an NDA. I can't. I'm really. kidding. I'm not. <laughs> but what I noticed when my clients told me that they couldn't address the rising cost of health insurance uh, you know, because the carriers and brokers just told them this is what your rates are going to be, I had dinner with the CFO one night, and I said, hey, I understand how you guys make money in aggregate, but how do you guys, when you're advising clients, how does this work when you're going through a renewal process? 
And he just said to me, hey, you know, let me show you how we make money. And at that particular year, they were getting ready to max their bonus out with United Healthcare. And um, so, yeah, I mean, explain maxing a bonus out too. So, we, I, I know the answers to these too, but it's just I, I like hearing your perspective and you describe. And, and to be fair, in our industry, there's three ways we get paid. Right? We get commission, yep. bonuses, and trips. Trips. Right. Oh, geez. Those are the three ways we get paid. Uh, yeah, commission bonus. Yeah, commission bonus trips, and there's other ways if you're self-insured. Yeah, sure. There's I'm, talk- other ways. I'm talking about just fully insured. Yeah, just traditional. Stuff if, if you took yeah. away the bonuses and the trips, mm-hmm. that would be a savings in and itself. Yeah, and that would be one fix to the problem, but it, it wouldn't solve the issue at all. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this particular cl- client was was telling me, we're going to max out our bonus with a carrier. And for the remainder of this year, I was having this conversation with them in November. For the remainder of the year, we're not showing any other carriers. And if they're going to switch carriers, it has to come to my desk. And I'm not going to approve it. And I said, well, what if another carrier shows a better competing offer? He said, we're not going to show it. Well, what if another broker does? Well, we'll, we may lose the client. But what it told me in that moment is that, and he also said, it's not going to affect our persistency, which is, how many clients that we've kept with that mm-hmm. carrier. So you get paid not only to write new business with a carrier, you get paid to keep business with a carrier. So it's important for this conversation because I believe there's a lot of conflicts of interest and misaligned incentives that keep people stuck in this system. Yeah. But what I realized in that moment was, oh my gosh, you don't work for your clients, you work for the carrier because you, and they also answer to shareholders. This was a group that had shareholders involved mm-hmm. with it. So they're trying to meet quarterly and annual earnings, or they don't want to disappoint the market and the ownership. So what I realized, there was this chasm, if you will. On one hand, there's the, the brokers and the carriers, and then on the other hand is the clients. And there was this big divide between what the, the clients, the, the market actually wants, and what the market was actually delivering. And in my mind, I realized if you could just bridge that gap, there was a good business that could be built. We could build a good business that would be profitable, because I'm I'm for profit, I'm yeah, a capitalist, yeah. right? But it would allow those businesses to do something good for their employees and good for themselves. And so I thought this is a win-win. So when I got to answer your question, Joey, how I figured out how to drive value for these companies was the very first day I realized the guys I had that were my mentors in the industry said, you're going to want to do something based on the bend you have, you're going to want to do something besides just a fully insured plan. And so that's my, my education came from meeting with stop loss carriers, working with TPAs, really understanding self-funding. And with my background in finance, it just it was kind of two and two. It just made sense. Yeah, I was going to say me. those definitely overlap. Um, going back to what in the United States, what else is something that year over year raises by 10 percent and people just accept it? I, I can't think of anything where year over year your, your costs can go up 10 percent year over year over year, mm-hmm. and, and the best you can do is just say thank you, see you next year for another increase. Well, the other question I would ask in, in addition to that is, where else are we willing to pay 10% every single year and not take a different approach to, to managing it? Or, even Nothing. better, where, what other thing in this that you buy, do you go and just get it blindly, not knowing what it costs? Yeah. So you go to... ton of metaphors on that, too. Car dealerships, yeah. right? Well, you even do that example. I've seen you talk about that example on LinkedIn before. Yeah. By the way, if you don't follow Chris Hamilton on LinkedIn, you need to find him, connect with him because he puts out some of the best content. I'm telling you right now, you'll learn something every single day from him. But so th- think about this. It's a question I always ask. Name another industry where somebody will go out and buy something that might cost as much as a car or a house, and they never ask what it's going to cost, 
and they're not the ultimate payer. So think about this. Somebody goes in and has a cancer treatment or has some sort of expensive uh, disease that needs to be treated or expensive surgery they're going to have in a hospital. That can be, in today's market, you know, a couple hundred thousand or upwards yeah. of a millions of dollars. We see these claims, right? And the employee doesn't ask what it's going to cost. And if you do, it's usually what insurance do you have, what's your deductible, that's your cost. But a $3,000 or $5,000 deductible on top of a million-dollar claim, right, that's not the price. And think about it. A person that pays a $3,000 deductible, they're not the payer of health care. They're not the one actually writing the check. It's an insurance company. Yeah. Which, by the way, the insurance companies, they're not using their own money to pay for those claims. Whose money are they using? They're using the employers and yeah. the employees. So the real payers of health care are employers in America. And that, that's, again, that. the continuous message that you're putting out, but that a lot of metaphors out there about like, the same thing. If you go to buy a car, you don't know what it is till after you buy it. Like, oh, by the way, it's also going to be an additional $10,000 for this right turn signal, or these wiper blades are an extra $800 after the fact. And that's, so, so what do you, I mean, again, there's, I know, what do you do? There's hundreds of ways to go, but like, what are you specializing in? Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you like to talk about most and what kind of clients are you working with? So most of the clients that I work with are going to have between 50 and 1,000 employees. Some of them are larger. Some of them are smaller. But the number one thing that we're teaching employers how to do is how to partially self-fund their health, self-fund their health plan safer than being in a traditional fully insured plan. And, and I'm not sure what the, the insurance markets are like in Florida, but in Texas, a lot of mid-sized employers have been conditioned to believe that self-funding is scary, it's risky, and it's, it's dangerous. It's complicated. I think that's a... I think that's a- predominant nationwide nationwide and i think it goes back to we have to be able to challenge all of our assumptions those are assumptions that were made many years ago but when you look at what happens in health insurance you have to ask yourself a couple of questions right so i think everybody should understand how people get paid because it's going to determine how they treat you in a business sense love it and there's a famous and or a well-known investment company that manages retirements for a lot of people they got in big trouble because they had developed their own proprietary mutual funds and their people were selling only their own proprietary mutual funds because they had higher expenses and higher commissions. And they got in trouble. Not that to name seems names. like a little conflict right there. Yeah. Right. But the same thing is happening in the health insurance industry today because most advisors, the big ones, cash seven, eight, big eight-figure checks from insurance carriers to keep people in the system so that they can make money. When you say big ones, you're talking about the nationals talking about the big national brokerages and the big national insurance companies. So we, and again, just to, sometimes we like to plug 212 on here too, because technically you're just stroking the check for this radio show, right, Joey? I thought you were. One of us is paying for it. I don't know. We, again, we work in the same space, do the same thing. And you talk about explaining how we're compensated. I think that's a big deal. So when we meet with, with prospects or clients early mm-hmm. on, I ask this question every single time is, do you understand how we're compensated? And the majority of the time, the answer is no. So a business yeah. owner doesn't even understand how, how consultants or brokers are compensated. So explaining that early on and, and, and honestly calling out, making sure they understand how these bonuses work. I'm new to the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Three years into it. And, and that is one thing that infuriates me. And, it, and again, it's a lot of large practices that do this. That United example, I mean, that one large carrier example that you use where it's like push them to this product so that we hit higher tiers of bonuses, mm-hmm. that's just wrong to me. And, yeah. and again, I think... 
em- employers, CEOs, CFOs are getting wise to it and finding consultants like yourself and Joey to now have these conversations, right, and, and make smarter decisions. Yeah. So if you have a business owner that's listening to this show right now, I'm going to give you just a couple of questions you should ask an advisor, really just to talk about how people get compensated in the industry. So it's important to understand brokers get paid either a fee or commission, which is standard in the industry, right? Bonus. So I think uh, owners need to ask brokers and advisors, how much money are you taking from specific carriers in bonus? Because that can influence. But then the third thing is, how else are you getting paid? And so uh, particularly when we're talking about self-funded clients, the big national firms, they a lot of times they own products that they sell and they use those um, and they monetize them. There's nothing typically wrong with that. If it's not, but I see there's an issue if it's not disclosed. And so what one particular egregious example I'll give you is we reg- routinely find uh, hidden fees in pharmacy benefit programs. Well, so we PBMs. Can have, we can have an hour-long conversation. We so. can. So this is prescription contracts. PBMs do nothing to help you buy insurance other than give you a negotiated price, which for most people are now finding out the price your insurance negotiates for medications a lot of times is inflated. And it's because there's so Significantly. Yeah, because there's so many. That, where does that rebate go typically? So it usually goes back to the either the insurance carrier. Some brokers will take those back. Really where we see brokers making money on uh, pharmacy contracts is they'll build in uh, a fee per script that gets filled that goes back in their pocket. And the brokerage industry has typically liked those fees because they're really hard to discover and they're not reportable. So it's a way to hide compensation. I shouldn't laugh, but I'm like, how is this possible? Yeah. Uh, if, if we were financial advisors and we were doing some of the things that were that are happening inside of the health insurance brokerage community, we'd go to jail. I some people call it the cartel, by the way. I don't know if you've seen there's certain individuals in our industry that call large carriers and PBMs the cartel. But so, I mean, again, so typically to be on self-insured or those, those captive plans, you, you probably have to have over 50 employees, right? It's, it's not quite to smaller businesses yet. So, again, whatever listeners are out there, business owners or not, it may be difficult. But fully insured is what mm-hmm. a lot of people are accustomed to and understand. That you have what's called level-funded. And you're, you, would you consider yourself a self-insured expert? That's your that's your niche. That's your specialty. That's my niche and specialty. I always don't want, I don't like the term expert. Expert. Yeah. There's always something that I don't know. You're an expert on the drums. I've seen you play a couple times. I like the drums. I won't consider myself an expert there either. Okay. Okay. Um, I am very passionate about self-insuring for employers because I have enough data now over eight years. Uh, my I started doing this literally. My first couple of clients in the industry were self-insured, and you, we start talking about all these different ways to self-insure. But you know, my second client that I ever wrote. 60 days on the business, in the business, was a reference-based self-insured <laughs> account. So it was kind of feet to the fire. Out of the hose. Out of the hose, right. So, I mean, that's pretty much the extent of my career has been specializing in self-insuring clients. And there's a lot that we've learned over eight years. We have data for clients that go back close to eight years. And Can you, can you be a little specific on the data? Like what kind of data are you, are you referring to? Yeah, so we have claims data. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. We think about healthcare, and then health insurance. It's actually two different things. Big time. Yeah, big two time. Two totally different things. So, I think it should also be called sick care, not health care. Well, we get, that's a different. Okay. We'll get, we'll get there in a second. It. Let's do it. But if you think about health care, that's going to the doctor, going to the hospital, uh, buying prescription medications, that's health care. Health insurance is just one of the ways that we pay for health care. And in America, that's the way the majority of health care is paid for. So, so here's important. a question for you. Okay. In America, is... What's more expensive, healthcare or health insurance, and why? I would say health insurance is more expensive. But why is it more expensive? Because a lot of people are paying for something that they don't actually use. You, 
you, you think about it, right? You got a, a number of employees. If you just look at any employer plan, 85% of the people that are on that plan incur less than $5,000 in healthcare claims sure. in a year. Yep. Some of them we see even, you know, $2,500 or less. So 85% of your population is very low utilizers of healthcare. So for those 85% of the people in that particular year, they overpaid. They could have just self-insured their own health care, those individuals, not, not even had health insurance and been better off. Jade. Agreed. Do you have health insurance? Yes. Do you use it? Not often. Does it collect dust in your wallet? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people, a lot yeah. of percentage But of couldn't the it. argument be made that for that 15 20% that are using it, mm-hmm. they're paying an inflated cost of health care because Absolutely. of where they're going That's right. for service? Yeah. So talk about in the last four minutes, five, yep. three minutes of this episode. So here's the deal. This is one of the biggest problems I see in the health insurance and healthcare industries is we have turned over our checkbooks as business owners. We've turned over our checkbooks to an insurance carrier for them to manage the cost of our healthcare. We, we've entrusted them to make good negotiations and good contracts mm. for <laughs> good prices. But it turns out when you look at the way health insurance companies actually make money, they actually have a conflict with you. They don't want to pay the lowest price. What do the big insurance companies want to trade on? We have the biggest network. Everybody's in our network. Well, some hospitals and doctors are willing to take a fair and reasonable rate to be in that network. But if you've got to have everybody in that network, that means there's going to be some holdouts that you're going to have to overpay to get them to agree to be part of your insurance plan. And when you look at the actual data, what did I pay for a surgery? What did I pay for a hospital bed overnight? What did I pay for a baby delivery? When you benchmark that, a lot of these insurance companies will pay three, five, even seven times what a fair rate of reimbursement is. And a lot of times when you think about what's happening, uh, just even here in Jacksonville, I don't know the market here very well, but I would assume it's much like other metro areas in the United States. There's probably a dominant hospital system that's here that have gone out and bought doctor groups, specialists, (laughs) other hospitals, (laughs) Uh and they've amassed this kind of a – kind of an arms race, if you will, they've gotten so large that they're too big to not be in a major carrier's network. And what they have now is dominant pricing power. They can set the price because guess what, insurance company, you're going to lose a lot of customers if I'm not in your network. Look, man, I'm telling you this could this could get out of control. So that goes back to my yeah. question of what's more expensive, health insurance or health care. And in that example, health care is more expensive because it's being set by the hospital. Health insurance is expensive because it's what pays for it. Both are very expensive, yeah. and they both have to be controlled. Well, if you think about this too, right? If I go into the, if I'm now part of this insurance network, or I'm now part of this insurance company that's got the network, and I go to those hospitals that have inflated the cost of care, my claims are going to be up, and the insurance company is going to come back at renewal. Sorry, company, your Oops. claims are up. We have to raise your premium to offset those claims. We're, we're coming up on our first commercial break here because there's already a couple things I want to get to afterwards if we can. I'm telling you we're going to run out of time real quick here. What came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Who's, who's responsible for these rising costs? Is it large hospital systems battling against the, the large insurance carriers? Or is it, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I always find it interesting. Um, and then are you familiar with the charge master in mm-hmm. a hospital? Oh, yeah. yeah so it's, it's basically sticker price. If you're, I love analogies because it helps us understand and conceptualize. Charge master is essentially the sticker price on a car. If you're buying a car, if you've had experience going to a car dealership and you look on the window, it's the sticker price. Okay, man, I... We're not going to have enough time. You want to fly back to Jacksonville in a couple weeks sure. to keep doing this? but Or we could do it remote. But uh, Chris Hamilton, Hotchkiss Insurance uh, from Texas, visiting this beautiful town we call Jacksonville, staying in Ponte Vedra, but um, seeing your family. 
What the Health Just Happens. We'll be back in a few minutes. Um, Man, whoa. Welcome back to the second half of What the Health Just Happened. I have Chris Hamilton from Hotchkiss Insurance out of Texas, Joey Jansen from Two Tall Benefits. We are talking about some pretty heavy stuff, uh, maybe complicated, maybe not, but um, we're going to try not to get into too much trouble here, just bashing our industry entirely. But Chris, you're one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Love talking to you. Let's get back into it. Sure. What do you think? Where should we start? PBMs, large hospital systems, nonprofit hospitals, what you're doing specifically, self-funding, why don't we, if you want to try to paint a cohesive picture for the audience, yeah, um, we should start with how carriers make money. So paint, me, paint, paint us a picture. So if you think about just a, and this is uh, going to be relevant whether you're self-funded or you're fully insured, it goes back, really the big uh, shift, this monumental shift happened when the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, or otherwise known as Obamacare, was passed. And there was a piece of, uh, there, there was a provision in that law called the medical loss ratio rebate. And really just a simple way to explain this to people is it, is it required insurance companies to pay 85 cents of every dollar they take in for healthcare, which makes sense. We don't want insurance companies taking our money and then not paying for our healthcare. I'm going to, I'm going to pause just to reiterate that. So, so the medical loss ratio, right? They're required to pay 85 cents of every dollar on healthcare. That's just right. want to reiterate that. So if, so if 85 cents is going out the door for healthcare, that leaves 15% as a gross profit margin. And so if you're one of these big insurance companies and you want to increase profitability, you can't increase the rate of profitability because you're capped at 15%. So just to say this another way, they call it a rebate uh, ratio is because if you make 16% profit, you have to give that 1% back to the policyholders. It typically comes out like September, October yeah. every year. So really their goal is to figure out not – not how to lower the cost. If let, me, you're, let me tee you up for this one because I want to actually make – I think you and I should make this video. Like okay. Actual grab a dollar bill, right, mm-hmm. a $5 bill, a $10 bill, a $20 bill, and a $100 bill and show them like, okay, so if, if I give you a dollar, you get to keep 15 cents. Or you can use this $5 bill and keep $2. Like specifically showing – That's right. That's, that is the best way to describe it. So would they rather keep 15% of $100 or 15% of $5? That's right. Yeah, so their, their incentive is to actually make the cost go up. But what also has happened, and I think it's going to highlight how you actually get to the point of how do you lower the cost of healthcare, these carriers are now vertically integrated. And so they own their own pharmacy benefit manager, which is nothing more than just contracts for prescriptions. But what's hidden inside those contracts is profitability for the carriers. Now, the insurance is regulated. They can only keep 15% of the revenue. But all of these subcontractors or subsidiaries have unlimited profit potential. It's not regulated by law. And so they can build in profit margin on every single drug that is filled by your members, your employees. They own distribution. So a lot of them will own their own specialty pharmacy that requires distribution. So these are these drugs that are really, really expensive. The ones you see on commercials at halftime. Yeah, they yeah. might be 5000 to $50,000 a month in cost. And there's pro- huge profitability for the carriers there. But they're expensive to make. They're, they are, but... That I was mean, a sarcastic remark that Joey made. You don't, no, they don't get to see your face, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's just all these ways these insurance companies make money, and it's counter to the way... Uh, us as business owners, 
make money and the way we want to manage costs. And so the solution to this is designing a health insurance plan that removes those conflicts of interest and those misaligned incentives and working with independent players that don't make money the way traditional insurance companies do. They, they'll work on a flat cost basis, a per employee per month basis. They, the, they make a transaction fee instead of a profit margin of a, or a percentage of a cost. And so there's a way to rebuild a health insurance plan that is aligned with the way a business owner would manage their cost. So if, if you're a home builder in this area, uh, you probably would not turn over your buying of lumber and roofing materials to a third party without inspecting, what am I paying for a two by four? What mm -hmm. am I paying for a shingle? Because that's a really compo important component to the business. But when you turn over the buying to your health insurance company, you're assuming that they're, they're making good decisions on how to spend the money, but they're not. All the data shows otherwise because of these things that I've pointed out, the way they make money and, um, and then the way they're vertically integrating to maximize profitability. Every business owner in the United States, whether you have 10 employees or 10,000 employees, you are in the healthcare business. Because it doesn't matter if you have 10 employees or 1,000, it's, it's at least a top five expense, probably top three, one or two yeah. or three. And you've got to manage that cost like you manage everything else. So I'm going to, I'm going to shout out to Chris again, too. If you don't follow him on LinkedIn, search him out because he puts out some of the great stuff, including a, a video the other day talking about just that, right? You, if you own a business, you also are running a healthcare business because of the cost of that, right? Okay, so what do you do, right? Let's, let's, let's dive in there. Let's start pulling some onions back on the self-funding. How do you get the data from someone that's on a fully insured product and transition them and educate them? Because it, it's not easy. Who right? owns it's, the data? So the carriers will tell you that it's their data. And I, I'm not familiar with exactly how it works in Florida, but it's in Texas, in Texas uh, the, the state based on group size. Yeah, based on group size. If you're self-insured, the employer owns the data. It's the employer's data. Uh, in Texas, the state legislature actually passed a law that required insurance companies to give certain types of claims information to, um, to, to the businesses so that they could go out and shop for insurance. Oh, we're taking selfies over here, by the way. I love it. I, I love making, like, awkward comments, too, because they can't see us. I'm over here trying to click pictures and so we can share on social media. Um, right? So I, I have a term that I use. I think the best way to save money on healthcare is to be healthy, right, is to avoid mm -hmm. needing the system entirely, but you can't, right? I've got children who have to see the doctor. I like to go on my physical. So as an end consumer or an employee of these businesses, what can, what can we do or people to help them save like that, that person, that mom that works 40 hours a week and, and maybe makes between 30 and 75 K a year, what can she do mm -hmm. to, to help fight the rising healthcare costs? The sad part of this is, is most employees on an individual level don't have a voice. They don't have the ability to control the cost of healthcare. It really falls on the employers and the advisors that are helping those employers set up their plans. That's heavy. That's heavy. I want to say that again. Because, it, again, it's, it's kind of the reality. There are some – I may disagree with that some places, again, depending on the size of the company and how engaged an employee is, mm -hmm. but they have to buy into this and, and understand how it works. So, so say that one more time. You're, you're saying that it falls on the respo – the responsibility falls on the employers, your CEOs, CFOs, HR people, mm -hmm. and consultants and brokers like us. That's right. Why do you think that's the case? Well, if you think about it, most people in America get their health insurance from their employer. It's like 75%, I think. Yeah, or, something like that. Yeah. I don't know what the latest data is, but it's a very significant percentage of the population. And that, that those employees are only going to be able to choose from the plans that the employer has chosen to sponsor. So typically, 
the employer picks the carrier. The employer picks the one to three plans that are offered. Maybe there's more, but you know, typically one to three plans. And so when you think about just an individual employee, they have a very limited number of choices that they can make. And when they go to buy health care, it's whatever that insurance carrier has negotiated the cost to be. And so there are ways for individuals to save money. So a good one that uh, a lot of people can use on a day-to-day basis, um, people are maybe familiar with GoodRx. Yep. So there's a, an app you can download on your phone. It's we a discount Clever, drug. CleverRx is another one. We use yeah, CleverRx. So, you know, it's a discount drug program. Or another one that's popped up recently, uh, Mark Cuban has created the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, mm-hmm. which has got very discounted drugs. What's interesting about all of those discount programs, including Mark Cuban's, if you do a good job as What's a— up, cons- Mark Cuban? Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to hear this. If you, if you were to go fill on a traditional insurance carrier's— I think this is a really important point to highlight the problems in our industry as a business owner, as an employee, as whatever. Go buy a, med- a medication using your insurance card and find out what the price is. And it could be $57, okay? But then when you pull up GoodRx, the cost may only be $13. Mm-hmm. So you, you're doing the right thing as a consumer. You go buy the medication for $13. Take that receipt and give it to your insurance company and see if they'll give you credit for what you spent. What do you think is going to happen? I know it's going to happen. They're going to tell you, go back and pay the inflated price if you want credit on your deductible. But the problem is... And they're the, not even going to answer the phone call or the emails, what they're going to do. They're going to avoid you for weeks or... So to that, to that point, I just pulled up a picture I sent you a couple weeks ago. Had a, a customer having an issue, couldn't get a pr- prescription filled from a carrier. Went to CleverRx. With insurance, would have cost him $250 to okay. get this prescription filled. Okay. With Clever because he couldn't use his insurance card. Had to go to a different, different uh, pharmacy. Okay. Same drug. S- same drugs. Same dosage level. Everything's the same. Uh-huh. Had to go to ABC store instead of yeah, right next door. $38.43. Okay. Say those numbers again. What was the original one? $2.50. Okay. Uh-huh. $38.43. So, so $212 difference. Yep. So picture this. Hey, big insurance company, I was a good steward of your money, and I saved you $212. I need you to give me credit for the $38 that I spent. And the insurance company's going to say, sorry, bud, you should have used our insurance card if you want credit. That's not part of our plan. And here's the problem. Where does that $212 difference go? It's the same drug at the same pharmacy. or some, On somebody's gas money for their yacht traveling the world right now. So th- that's one real – I always like to use prescription drugs as a, an example because it's more frequent and more relatable because people – most people at some point in the year are going to need to get a prescription drug, and so they can relate to it. But it just shows you how inflated. If a if a two hundred dollar or thirty eight dollar prescription is inflated to two hundred and fifty bucks, what's a surgery inflated? What's a hospital stay inflated? And those are the big claims that drive the premiums for your company's insurance. And that that example works. I would say what ninety five percent of prescriptions filled. Let's talk about one that's more expensive, Humira. Mm-hmm. I pick on that one a lot. Mm-hmm. You can't use Clever RX or Good RX because no. it's too expensive. No. So. When you go self-funded mm-hmm. and you have a PBM contract that's direct without the insurance carrier, how do you? How does an employee get that medication? Yeah, and how does the employer save money buying it? Yeah, so there's a number of things that we do that traditional insurance companies won't allow you. One is is a drug importation. So some of these drugs you can actually import from Canada or New Zealand at a fraction of the cost. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example um, of. Because I'm an owner of an insurance brokerage like y'all. I have a health insurance plan for our employees. We have employees that take oh, some I of those. I did m- want to dive into this too, what you guys are doing for your specific business. Yeah. So we, it's personal to you though, right? Something that you did. Uh, well, I was actually going to use another one of my employees' examples okay. uh, for medications. So yep. uh, med- employees taking a medication, that's $150,000 a year. It's a pretty expensive drug. 
I mean, again, say that one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for one medication. for one medication yeah. for one person. And we import that drug from Canada, and it's about $40,000 a year cost to our organization. We save $110,000 on one medication. Same exact drug, same exact manufacturer, same exact method of delivery because those expensive medications are typically drop shipped to their doorstep. Have you seen drug companies, pharmaceuticals, put import limits on medications coming into the United States from other countries? I haven't seen it yet. Not in our specific book of business. But I'm just giving you one example of how you can save money. Another one... Um, a lot of these uh, medications, if you see them advertised on television, it's a good. If you haven't seen it before or notice it, you'll notice it now. Usually, there's happy music and people are dancing and whatnot as they're giving you these side effects. Eight like billion dollars a year is what big pharma spends on advertising yep. each year. So at the end of the happy music, when the commercial's getting ready to close, usually a low voice will come on and say, "If you can't afford your medications, contact us. We may be able to help." And the side effects include explosive diarrhea. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Well, I'm a disaster. So what they're talking about there is they have foundations that are set up, charitable foundations. They want to be on the Medicare drug list, and the government requires them to give a certain amount of their medications away for free based on financial merit. And some of these medications, if you make less than $100,000 or $125,000 a year, you'll qualify to get your medication paid for free. You can get the manufacturer to pay for your medication if you qualify. And so you would think that big insurance companies trying to manage their risk would try to help people get on these programs. In fact, they have language in their contracts that prevent members from accessing those foundations. And so um, they're required to get it through the insurance companies and pay an inflated price. And so the, the whole mission that we have here, again, is removing conflicts of interest. We work with benefit contracts that will allow us to do that. And the very first thing we do is we find out, does an employee qualify to get this medication at no cost? And if they do, we've removed the full cost of that claim from the employer. The second layer would be trying to figure out, is there a way to source this medication at a lower cost internationally? And then the third level would be to figure out, is there any sort of other manufacturer money, like a copay card that's out there where we can get the manufacturer to subsidize a portion of the cost of the medication? So one of those three methods, we're usually able to get some sort of relief on the cost of those medications for the employer but the big insurance companies don't let you do that. Mm. Go ahead. Top, <clears throat> top five PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers. Q1 of 22. So it's your The list data. is pretty much the same. What, what's, what was their revenue, Q1? Oh, I don't know the I revenue mean, for all of them. $42 billion, okay. Q1. For the first quarter of 2022. Yep. Yeah, these numbers are, are insane. Let's that, was a, that was a healthcare and harmony statistic from... From, from Marty? From Marty. Well, if you want to know something else that's interesting, and and this is not bashing anybody, this is somebody needs Harvard Business School needs to do a case study on United Healthcare and United Health Group. Um, They have done a fantastic job. If you're a shareholder there or you work, you're one of the executives. They've done a fantastic job of shifting their business as the tides have changed in health insurance. And Optum is their business. Optum is their business. Really, if you think about it, there's a big sign on a a building over here, isn't there? So you can look at uh, their financials. They're publicly traded. Actually, what's interesting about United Healthcare, just to put this in perspective, United Health Group, which owns United Healthcare, they're larger than Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Citibank combined. Revenue-wise, they're larger than all four of those big national banks combined. So, just to give you an idea of the size of this organization, they employ more doctors nationally than anybody. They're the largest employer of doctors nationally. They have seventy-five thousand physicians that work for a unit of their company, and. Over 56, 58% of their operating profit comes from things other than health insurance. 
So people know United Health Group for United Healthcare, which is a big yeah, insurance wild. company, but actually most of their money is made in this little unit called Optum, which is their pharmacy benefit contracting, their physician group, among a number of other things. Optum owns and does a lot of things. It's more than just PBMs and doctors. Let me let me rewind a second too. So we talked about ways where, where you can make a difference. I think pharmacy and drugs is a big one, right? Especially mm-hmm. large PBMs. That's part of going that self-funded or, or captive route, right? What about directing employees to the right facility? I mean, again, yeah. the biggest thing I always say is like, listen, the emergency room is for emergencies. This has mm-hmm. to do for a variety of reasons. Working in the fire department, working in the ER as a nurse, the amount of people that go to the emergency room that don't need to is, is absurd, yeah. right? So so does that help? And again, it's hard for a 250 life, uh, 250 employees for a company, right? Facility direction. And I'm just curious your thoughts on DPCs, mm-hmm. direct primary cares. Is mm-hmm. that... Are there legs there? Is that something you see improving? Do you do you guys work with any? But yeah, so when I look at just the, the, some of the business that we do in Texas, um, we have a tremendous number or percentage of our groups that offer DPC or direct primary care. And this is think of Netflix. You you pay a subscription fee or Spotify. You pay a uh, subscription fee and you get unlimited access to their video or audio content. Well, that's essentially what direct primary care is. You you no longer pay per use. You pay a subscription fee, and these doctors are available to you on an unlimited basis, whether it's once a month, once a year, once a day. You have access to these doctors that do not take insurance. They do not answer to insurance companies. They treat you based on what you need, not what the insurance company will pay for. And the great thing about those doctors is they're independent of hospital facilities. If you think about most physician groups now, they're owned by hospitals. Well, guess what happens when you get sick and you need care? They're going to only refer you inside of their hospital group. You're going to go to a hospital-owned specialist. You're going to have your surgery at a hospital that they own. It's all, all the incentives are misaligned there. Keep the money under one roof. Yep. That's right. And so what we see now is these independent physicians, they're agnostic to where they send you, where they refer you. They're typically going to help you find the best cost provider, best cost, best outcome hospital to have your procedure at. I'm going to, I'm going to say this and hopefully someone hears it or spreads the word and I'll, I'll sh- I would love to get a, a DPC on this show, but there's not, a, there's really none in Jacksonville. Not that I know of. I mean, it, we're miss. you talk about a, an opportunity. I think in Jacksonville is, is if you're a DPC to- listening to this, I know they are out there. I just don't yeah, know. Call, me. Text me, call me. I, I mean, again, we'd, we'd love to see. So you. here's so. the hardest thing though. When you think about direct primary care, it's hard to go from this system. We call it fee for service. So think about when you go to the car mechanic. The car mechanic is, uh, they're only going to be able to charge you for the work that they do. And the more work that they do, we, we changed your oil. That's one charge. We adjusted your alignment. We changed your brakes. We did this. We did that. The more things they can put on your work order, the more money they can make. And that's how doctors work. The more codes they put on the oh, invoice, geez. the more they get made. And so the, the more they make. But Direct primary care physicians, they're going to make the same amount whether they do one thing to you or 10 things to you. Because you're paying a direct fee to that, that physician. That's right. And so the idea here now is we've, we've shifted the incentive now to doing, instead of just getting people in and shuffling more people through so we can char- charge more invoices, they're now aligned to customer service, taking care of the, of the patient, keeping you happy and healthy, because if you're not, you're going to go somewhere else. They have to provide value. And again, I told you this would happen. I knew it would happen. We got five minutes left. And I, the last two questions I ask, I, I really want to hit these for you because I think you'll give some, some great advice for, you know, experienced, new professionals, whatever it is. Before that, though, do you have any good dad jokes? I don't. I love dad jokes. And I specifically pulled one up because he makes fun of me. So you got to hand it to short people. 
because they can't reach it on their own. <laughs> I'm short, by the way. That's self-deprecating. Okay, back back to business here. Last two questions. So, Chris Hamilton, you look one, three, five, 10, 20 years out. What is a healthy change that you would like to see in our industry? And you just hit a bunch, right? Yeah. Can you can you think of something you're like I would love to see this happen? So when you think about everything that we've talked about. I think there's one central tenant that comes to this, and I'm a contrarian to to the, the That's industry why I like standard. You. So I always I want to think, try to think differently. I think business owners, CFOs, HR personnel, really need to question everything. You need to be skeptical and critical of everything, healthcare, health insurance related. I think people need to ask the question, why am I doing it this way? And when I ask somebody, when I've met with a business owner, and I say, well, wh- why do you guys do it this way? the most common response I get is this is the way we've always done it. And I think those are the seven most dangerous words any business mm. can utter. Those are the words that put Blockbuster out of business when Netflix, they had the opportunity to buy Netflix. Those are the words that put Kodak out of business when they had the opportunity to adapt and, and adopt digital photography. Those are the words that allowed a company like Uber to disrupt the taxi industry. Because we've always done it this way. That's right. So the, the secondary question they should ask is, is it working? Does it work for my business? And most business owners that tell me this is the way we've always done it will then tell me, well, no, our costs continue to rise. So if, if you've always done it this way and it's not working, why would you not look at a different way to do it? And the most important point I would make to anybody that hears this Healthcare and health insurance is a really big business. It's actually the largest industry in the United States. It's over $20 trillion in our economy. Oh, hi. We're recording right now. We're on. Oh, it's all right. She just came in. Say hi on the show. We got a minute left here recording. Hello. <laughs> so the, the, this is the, one of the most important things people need to understand. Healthcare and health insurance is one of the biggest industries in America. And the, the biggest national players and brokerages and insurance carriers They're the ones that help create the problem. They're the ones that profit the most from the problem. Can we really trust the people that have helped create and profit the most from the problem to solve the problem? So I'm gonna gonna chime in. I think one big thing I heard there was your your CFOs, your HR people is asking questions. That's a big change and I I agree, right? That's an important role in a business. It's to ask those questions and, and make the adjustments to save costs, improve coverage, et cetera. Okay, last question here. Chris Hamilton, 1, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, what is some healthy advice you would have given yourself? Same. I, you know what? My answer is going to be the same thing. A challenge assumptions. It took me so long to, uh, to, to really challenge my, the things that I believed because when I, once I did that, it's what kind of opened the opportunity for me to get into to the business that I'm in today. It's what allowed me to find value. When I think personally, what I would tell myself is, um, is, is question, question the advice that you get. And I'll just tell you from a, from a personal perspective, you know, I always believed in what my doctors had told me. I mean, this is a different, this is a whole different episode <laughs> from the health issues that I had, just listening to what my doctors told me, which was not right in getting alternative advice is what helped me. I just always question, question your assumptions. <sighs> Well, darn it. Here we are again out of time. It happens every single episode, Joe. You want to chime in anything for about 10 seconds before we wrap it up? Joey Jansen, 212 Benefits. Chris, thank you for joining Hotchkiss Insurance out there in Texas. I uh, hope you enjoyed yourself. Proverbs 2717, you know that? No. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens oh, another. Yes. Thank you for being my iron today and Joey's iron. Um, that was awesome. Hope to get you back sometime, but that is what the health just happened. Oh, awesome.
Hustling, hustling, hustling.